Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, August 16th. In today's news, Rashida Tlaib will go to Israel, after all. President Trump is selling weapons to Taiwan to show U.S. resolve against China. And U.S. taxpayers could be on the hook for billions in damages as undocumented immigrants line up to sue the government. But first, the big idea. President Trump has been pushing top aides to investigate whether the U.S. government can purchase the giant ice-smothered island of Greenland. The presidential request has bewildered aides, some of whom continue to believe it isn't totally serious. But Trump has been mentioning it now for weeks, and he keeps bringing it up in lunches, meetings, phone calls, etc. It's a real bee in his bonnet. Trump's interest was first reported by the Wall Street Journal last night, and then two sources with direct knowledge confirmed to my colleague, Damian Paletta, that this is not a joke. Sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction. As with many of Trump's internal musings, of course, aides are waiting for more direction before they decide how seriously they should look into it. There have been many things the 73-year-old president becomes fixated on and obsessed with, only to forget about them. But there are senior people right now looking into how we could get our hands on Greenland. Among the various things being discussed at the White House, the Pentagon, and the State Department is whether it's legal to do this, what the process would be for acquiring an island, it has its own government and population after all, and where would the money come from to purchase such a giant landmass. Greenland is 2.2 million square kilometers. 1.7 million of that is covered in ice, It has considerable natural resources, such as coal and uranium, but only half of 1% of the land is used for agriculture. It has about 58,000 residents, making it one of the world's smallest countries by population. It's a self-governing country, but it's part of the Kingdom of Denmark. Trump is scheduled to visit Denmark in two weeks and wants to negotiate. Trump has touted his career as a real estate developer. That was the central part of his 2016 presidential campaign. And he's made clear that he's retained an eye for real estate opportunities during his tenure in the White House. For example, almost every time he talks about North Korea, he says that they could build famous hotels and resorts along their oceanfront, even though many foreigners are afraid to visit that country out of fear for their lives. Typically, Congress would need to appropriate money before the White House could use it, but Trump's already shown a willingness to ignore that. It's unclear why Trump might want the U.S. to buy Greenland, But his administration has identified the Arctic as an area of growing importance to U.S. national security interests. With melting ice because of climate change making the region more accessible, the U.S. has been firm in trying to counter any moves by Russia and China in the Arctic. China recently declared itself a near-Arctic nation and has defended its desire for what it calls a polar silk road in which Chinese goods would be delivered by sea from Asia to Europe. China also recently sought to bankroll the construction of three airports in Greenland, drawing concern from then-Defense Secretary Jim Mattis and prompting the Pentagon to make the case to Denmark that it should fund the facilities itself rather than rely on Beijing. Believe it or not, there actually are two precedents for U.S. presidents trying to do this. Andrew Johnson's State Department looked into buying Greenland and Iceland after our civil war in 1867. And Harry Truman offered Denmark $100 million to buy the island after World War II in 1946, with the idea being that it would 
help counter Soviet incursions. Both times, Denmark declined. Will the third time be the charm? And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, a day after Israel announced it was banning Congresswomen Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib from entering for a four-day trip to the Palestinian territories, the country's interior minister said this morning that he will approve a humanitarian request from Tlaib, a Democrat from Detroit, to visit her 90-year-old grandmother who lives in the occupied West Bank. In exchange for the opportunity to see her grandmother for the last time before she passes away, Tlaib has agreed not to advocate for a boycott of Israel while in the country. She's expected to arrive next week. Yesterday, Israel said it wouldn't allow Tlaib or Omar, the Democrat from Minnesota, to enter the country this coming Sunday for a trip that was focused mainly on viewing the impact of recent U.S. policies and aid cuts to the Palestinians. Israel's decision drew widespread criticism from Democratic leaders and American Jewish organizations, including the staunchly pro-Israel lobby AIPAC, with some saying it sets a bad new precedent for U.S.-Israel relations, making them partisan. The decision to ban the two Muslim lawmakers followed a rare intervention by Trump himself. He didn't want Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, to let the women in. This is part of a pattern. By pressuring the Israeli government to bar the congresswomen, Trump once again used his power and platform to punish his rivals. The president grounded a military jet set for use by Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. He yanked a security clearance from former CIA director John Brennan when he was critical of him on cable news. He threatened to withhold disaster aid from blue states like California. He pushed to reopen a criminal investigation targeting his 2016 opponent, Hillary Clinton. And he publicly called for federal action to punish technology and media companies that he views as biased against him. Taken as a whole, Trump's use of political power to pursue personal vendettas is unprecedented in modern history. In all seriousness, Richard Nixon never would have dreamed of instructing a country like Israel to block Democratic lawmakers from visiting. Number two. Trump also pressured his own Secretary of the Treasury, Steve Mnuchin, to label China a currency manipulator, something Mnuchin had long and strenuously resisted. There are two federal laws that dictate the Treasury Secretary's power to label certain countries as currency manipulators. Currency manipulation is a serious thing, and it often draws a strong international response because it can skew currency and trade markets and create distortions in how goods flow around the world. But the laws were written to protect the process from political interference. That's why they set out specific criteria that must be met in order for the designations to occur. In the August 5th designation, Treasury Department officials did not specify what had changed since they announced on May 28th that China was not a currency manipulator. One of the people with knowledge of Trump's personal pressure on Mnuchin said the White House wanted China labeled as a currency manipulator so that it could prod Chinese officials back to the negotiating table for the trade deal. This has proved unsuccessful so far. Instead, it's inflamed tensions between the countries. And here's some news that broke overnight, which will further inflame tensions. The Trump administration is poised to announce later today that the U.S. government will sell $8 billion of F-16 fighter jets to Taiwan, despite strong protests from Beijing. This will be the largest and most significant sale of weaponry to the self-governing island in many years. Lawmakers from both parties have questioned whether the White House would scuttle that sale to soften the ground for a trade deal or otherwise use the fighter jets as bargaining chips in deadlocked negotiations. 
The Senate Foreign Relations Committee and House Foreign Affairs Committee both need to review the package, but they're on board and not expected to raise any objections. Approval of the latest sale also comes amid the continuing pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong, a semi-autonomous part of China. And there are fears that China could launch a military crackdown there this weekend. Such a crackdown could embolden Beijing to also confront Taiwan, which is backed by the United States. Trump yesterday called on Chinese President Xi Jinping to meet with the Hong Kong protesters. He said he doesn't want to see a violent crackdown and hopes they can work things out. Number three, legal claims made on behalf of migrant parents who say their children were harmed while in government custody could leave U.S. taxpayers on the hook for billions of dollars in damage. Dozens of families who were separated at the border as part of the president's zero tolerance policy are now preparing to sue the federal government including several who say their young children were sexually, physically, or emotionally abused in federally funded foster care. With more than 3,000 migrant children taken from their parents at the border, there are a lot of potential plaintiffs. The families, some in the U.S., others already deported to Central America, are represented by grassroots immigration clinics and nonprofit groups, but also some of the country's most powerful white-shoe law firms are doing this pro bono. They're making claims under the Federal Tort Claims Act as a precursor to filing lawsuits. That law allows individuals who suffer harm as a direct result of federal employees to sue the government. The government has six months to settle FTCA claims from the time they're filed. And then if they don't, after that, the claimants are free to file lawsuits in federal court. Last night, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco tossed out the Trump administration's challenge to a lower court's finding that authorities have failed to provide, quote, safe and sanitary conditions for immigrant children in detention. That is legally required under a 1997 consent decree. A three-judge panel ruled unanimously that the government must provide basic essentials in order to comply with that. They said in their opinion, quote, assuring that children eat enough edible food, drink clean water, are housed in hygienic facilities with sanitary bathrooms, have soap and toothpaste, and are not sleep-deprived, are all, without a doubt, essential to a child's safety. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, August 16th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you on Monday.